Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, a Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the boisterous Ben Madden, the garrulous GM Gerrymander, and the dauntless Doug Roz. Today, we have myself, Ange, along with Phil and Senda. I finally did it. I got the pandas on the Gnomecast together. <laughs> I thought you were kind of avoiding it for a while, like intentionally. I don't know. Like you guys are always on the mics together in Pandas Talking Games. And I'm like, well, I may as well mix them up with other different people. And then I'm like, I got to the point where I'm like, I have been doing this for how many years and I haven't gotten them on a show together? Let's just do this. Because I'm always on with Jared <laughs> instead. <laughs> well, what we're going to talk about today is what it's like to play for an audience rather than how that's different from just playing for the group at the table. Before we get into that topic, though, we're going to ask our get to know a gnome question with what is a time where you sat down to run or play a game and realized somebody else at the table was somebody you looked up to or wanted to impress? Senda, I'm going to start with you. OK, I have two answers. So firstly, I have been extremely lucky in playing with a ton of people because I did like a whole podcast of that. I'm going to call back to times that I like really freaked out early on. And was really excited. <laughs> um, the first one that I will mention is um, I've gotten to play uh, several games now with James D'Amato, some of them for one shot and one of them just at a convention. That was really cool, <laughs> especially I was really obsessed with one shot and it was before campaign had even started and he ran a game for me and it was amazing. And I like had a little freak out moment. <laughs> the other one that I want to mention is there was this guy at Genghis Khan, which is a local con to Denver. He did all of this RPG stuff. And I was like, I read his bio in the um, the convention program. And I was like, holy cow, because he like ran his own publishing company and like had written a bunch of games. He was there. They had invited him as a guest because of one of the games that he was doing. And he, you know, like wrote for this really cool gaming blog and stuff. And I was like, oh, man, I bet everybody has filled up all of his games. And so I didn't sign up for any of his games. And then I ended up running Lasers and Feelings for him. And his name was Phil Vecchione. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know, he's got like encoded designs and like he writes for Gnomes too and like he's all over the place. But um, I heard he wrote a really good book on gaming prep. Right, right. Never unprepared. Yeah, that one. So I was like, oh my God, I'm running a game for Phil Becky. <laughs> really, in retrospect, is hilarious. <laughs> yes, that's definitely not a thing to be excited about. I mean, I think it is a thing to be excited about, but you don't make me nervous anymore. So it's all good. <laughs> Well, I should hope not. I should hope not. We've played Just a bunch a of games together since then. Yes, many. But I but I, I like to think that I did manage to impress you because it was lasers and feelings. And I think I wrote down one thing on an index card. You did impress me. And not only did you impress me, I also, after having played that with you, I went to Queen City Conquest and ran lasers and feelings for uh, myself because I had seen you do it. And then I was so excited about it. I was like, oh, I got to run this game, too. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about that. That one worked out well. Anyway, but so Phil, why don't you tell us about games that you have run or played with people? Because I was such kind of like a busybody in the hobby for a while, it was like it was hard to like sneak up on me. Like it would like I never looked up and was like, oh my God, this person's playing at my table. But the most intimidated I was running a game 
it was Queen City Conquest in maybe 2015, I think. Uh, and I had Ken Height at my table. Mm-hmm. And I was running this Savage Worlds fantasy That's intimidating. Uh, homebrew <laughs> yeah, that like- I wrote. <laughs> and that was pretty intimidating because, I mean, even at that point, 2015, it was still, he was Ken Height, right? Like Mr. Chicago. And yeah, I was, I was pretty intimidated by that one. I, uh, I think I did okay. I think everybody had a good time, but I mean, in my head, I'm sure like, I feel like it was trash. Like, it was, I, like I'm sure it was okay, but I was pretty psyched out that Ken Height was uh, playing in my game, but it was fantasy and not, you know, like I would have, I would never have like run anything like Cthulian or anything. Like I would like, there's no way. I would run anything like that for Ken. So that was probably the most intimidated I've been. I, a couple of notable favorites have been um, Jason running stuff for Jason Cordova from the gauntlet. Mm-hmm. But Jason's such a generous player that it's so easy to run for Jason. James Tomato as well, because uh, we did a one shot episode. Yeah, we with did James Tomato back uh, early on when we were developing Turning Point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of the times that I played with him. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. that was running our game with James D'Amato, which was like a whole other level of experience. Because at that point, it was like, okay, it's no longer scary to play a game with James D'Amato. But it was like, okay, but this is my game. That adds a whole other dimension to it. Exactly. Yep. For sure. <laughs> anyway, and? Well, you know, I was just thinking that if I had known who he was when I first gamed with him, I would have been nervous about gaming with Aloy Lasanta. Sure, yeah. But I had no idea who he was. Right. He was just a guy at Con on the Cob who ran a game that I happened to sit down at. Yeah. And it was like later on I learned who he was and was like, oh, I, I, I should have been nervous about that because he's, <laughs> he's somebody. Uh, but the, the one that probably I was most like, wait, I'm doing what? Is I signed up to play Games on Demand at Origins. And this was right around the time masks had come out. I think I had, I think I had the PDFs. I don't think I had the physical copy of it yet, but I was really excited about this game. And I show up to games on demand uh, with my friend Rose and she's like, you pick something, you know, these games better than I do. And I'm like, oh, somebody's running masks. And I chose that one. And I sat down at the table and realized the person running it was Brendan Conway, the person who had wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Not only, not only that, I am blanking on her name right now, but one of the other women at the table is one of the main designers behind Dresden Accelerated. Yeah. And she, like, everyone at that table was absolutely fantastic. So it was an amazing game. And I impressed Brendan by being able to pronounce the uh, the outsider's name properly that he had written down on her sheet. <laughs> but it was still one of those, I got to play with the game designer. Right. So moving on into our main topic, with the rise of actual play as a bona fide entertainment medium coming out of the RPG hobby, I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation about what it's like playing or running when you know you've got an audience. And I specifically wanted to do this topic with Phil and Senda, our resident pandas, because this is something they both have experience with. Senda, why don't you tell us what your experience with said actual play is? Yeah, heck yeah. Um, I So I ran She's a Super Geek, which was an actual play RPG podcast that highlighted uh, women as GMs for five years with my co-host, um, Andy. And uh, yeah, that's what we did. We just did that, a lot of that. Um, sometimes we ran the games. Sometimes we had designers on to run their own games. And we played a lot of different games and we recorded all of them. (laughs) 
you can still hear it. It's all out there. We're not producing new episodes anymore, but jump in. I, I think there's still some really good work in there. Oh, it's fabulous. I, I know very, very, very specifically, I ran masks for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's out there. And it was really, really good. <laughs> it was like really good. I still occasionally point people to that. I'm like, do you, if you want to know what I'm doing in this hobby that you hear me talk about, go listen to this. This is this is what I do. Yeah, this is it. This is what we're doing. We're playing together and making cool stories and managing to fall our way into like writing tropes like the rule of threes. <laughs> so freaking brilliant. Anyway, that was a good episode. And Phil, why don't you tell us about your experience with actual play? I mean, other than I've been a guest on uh, She's a Super Geek. Yep. And One Shot. The new version of Misdirected Mark, MM Place, will be my first real kind of AP experience. And I'm going to put like a little asterisk next to it because it is definitely a, an actual play, but it is not being produced strictly for entertainment. It's being produced for um, like edutainment, like education and entertainment, uh, because the goal of MM Plays is to play the game and then have shows that like are about GMing advice that are directly based off of things that happened in the game. So like talking about like different techniques and things that you get to hear, like you can listen to the actual play and you can hear it happen at the table. And then you will hear kind of an in-depth analysis from us, like the following week talking about something that happened at the table. And I think you guys tried something like this before a few years ago, but it was more like you're mixing the playing and the talking a little more and it made the flow not as conducive. Way back in like the two late 200s, I think of the misdirected mark, we were messing around with these experimental plays and we did some like we did Numenera for a bit. We did um, Gangbusters. <laughs> That's the one I always remember because I'm like, it's such an it's <laughs> such an 80s game. My impression walking away from that was also, wow, there's a game I'll never play. <laughs> like, Legitimately, it's fair. There are some people out there who love it. <laughs> but uh, yes, it definitely shows its 80s roots um, when you go to play it. And, and as I remember, because we went to play it, I was like, yeah. I definitely did not play it like this in sixth grade when we ran it. Like I, we streamlined <laughs> out like so much of the rules and just, you know, played it like, you know, 12 year olds play games, right? Like just, you know, close to the rules, but way more fun. I think I remember how anticlimactic the, the, like the, the, the car chase was. Oh, the car I chase was I think you got about awful. a half a block before both cars were broken. <laughs> it was awful. I remember really the moment where there was combat and you having to tell Bob, I think it was that, you know, whatever action he had taken took like three of the actions that someone else had taken that he didn't get a turn basically for like three yeah. more rounds around the table or something like I was like, well, this is this. I would not play that. <laughs> it, it, it was it was an experience. It was an experience to play it rules as written yeah. as opposed to. Um, Phil's 11th or 11 year old, 12 year old rules. I mean, that's a whole other topic we could get into talking about, you know, like how to how to adapt a game to your play style, how we did it when we were kids versus how we do it now and all that. But no, we're here to talk about actual play. Yes. yes. So I guess my, my first big question. Well, actually, I should say I have a little bit of experience with actual play. I've been on She's a Super Yeah, game. you have. I think I played Masks. A couple times. I ran Masks. I played Mulgoths and Visigoths, mm -hmm. and I played Bite Marks. Yeah. And then I was also on uh, last summer, 
I was on the Untold Story Projects playing a Mutants and Masterminds game during Pride Month uh, as part of a fundraiser for the Trevor Project, which was a lot of fun. Nice. My first question for you guys is what is the biggest difference that you think when playing for an audience versus just playing with your friends? To me, the biggest difference is the way that I think about the story that's happening. And I think, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I think this has bled into how I now play games even at the table. But for me, there is a focus on the story much more than my individual character. Mm-hmm. And the focus is sort of on, the, on, the, on that, how do we collaborate as a group to create the best story together so that it is interesting to listen to or watch as the case may be. How do we hit an actual story of like that we have a ramp up and that we have a climax and that we have like a denouement? How do you make sure that you land all of that stuff? Do I love to land that in my home games? Yes, absolutely I do. But it's also like a little more loosey goosey. And like, if we don't finish it this week, then we'll finish it next week. You know, like, cause you have time and you can be a little more flexible and you're not like we're recording for four hours and then it must be done. Now, not everybody plays like that. Of course, there's totally campaigns out there. For example, the podcast campaign, which I love listening to. It's fantastic. Speaking of James D'Amato, <laughs> but there's still a, a different approach to How do I make the kind of the coolest story and the ways in which you may self edit, knowing that there's a microphone there and making decisions, you know, about a what you may choose to share about yourself, but also be like, how do I make sure that to the best of my knowledge and ability, I'm making this story interesting, safe to listen to, um, entertaining, and like also, um, you know, basically into something that I, I think will both appeal to people and also not intentionally send harm out into the world. Because mm-hmm. there's decisions that I can make that are more dramatic with people that I play with all the time where I know that I can make a safe decision within that space. But I don't necessarily know from a listener perspective if I can make a really interesting decision like that because the listener does not have the ability to X card that thing at the table, right? Right. They're not working with the same consent that we're working with um, as we're playing. So I definitely think that it affects the type of decisions that can be made in play just because you don't know. You don't know what's out there. And what's really interesting is many times when I have seen issues with actual play in various communities, the issue has been that someone on that podcast or on that stream or whatever it is broke what the audience would consider to be a safety line, whether that was about consent or something else. There's certainly was a podcast that I used to listen to pretty religiously. And it was a horror podcast. And I'm not really into horror, but it was a horror podcast. But they managed to find a thing that I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. And I have never listened again. Mm -hmm. And that kind of of stuff is just out there. So you really are trying to create something that is really consumable, but also trying to create something where you are not intentionally sending harm out into the world where you are like, this is something that I could anticipate being something awful for someone to listen to that's both for for your safety as the podcast the 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 player in an actual play yeah and the audience because like you said you stopped listening to a podcast because they crossed a line yeah and that 
diminishes the audience that that podcast has. Yeah. So that's something you have to watch for both sides of that, that coin. So I guess in a nutshell, to just condense everything that I just said, you have to remember the invisible player at the table who is the audience. They don't have a voice, but they're listening at all times, and you have to take them into consideration with all the moves that you make. That's what I would say. Yeah. The short version. <laughs> Phil, do you have any different perspective on that, considering what you're doing with MM Plays is more educational? Yes, uh, just because I know my own style of GMing. Along the same lines of self-editing, I like tend to, when I GM, sometimes run off into tangents or make jokes, things like that, that aren't in game, Mm -hmm. right? They're just out of game jokes. Or I will do things, old man Logan and I, so uh, Bob and I are notorious for working uh, lines from old movies (laughs) into, into the middle of the game session to see if anyone else will pick them up or just to like both of us will just, you know, like look at each other and laugh and things like that. And it'll just, you know, it'll be like old eighties movie, you know, quotes, not, you know, the more obscure, the better kind of thing. So I know like, you know, for pub, you know, for packaging this for consumption, I can't do my normal kind of relaxed, half joking GMing kind of stuff. Like it needs to be a little more, on point. It needs to be a little more focused. I can't go off on a tangent and tell you about this chat GPT thing, <laughs> you know, that just popped into my head while I'm running those kinds of things. So yeah, I, I do think that like, for me, the biggest change is having to kind of self edit the commentary track that goes along with my GMing. Mm-hmm. That's also me. You get a real time commentary track as I GM that has to get nixed for production purposes. Or Chris will literally kill me for the editing that you'll have to do. <laughs> I was going to say, it really depends on how you want to edit it, because there are a lot of podcasts who do very much like the friends at the table thing, and you're just there along for whatever tangents there are. So No, I've read between the lines. I've been I've been subtly threatened already um, <laughs> by Chris. Like, I know what he's expecting, so... <laughs> I will like I will bring the regular Phil Vecchione GMing stuff, but no commentary track. That was actually kind of my next question is I know Saskeek was edited and I know MM Plays is edited, but a lot of the bigger actual plays, i.e. Critical Role, the elephant in the room, uh, doesn't edit like that. You just get what's happening at the table, the whole the whole stream. You obviously made the conscious decision to edit your podcasts. Why did you make that decision? Uh, so for me... Firstly, the people who are playing in a lot of those live streams are professional actors. Like, that's just a thing to know, right? And certainly improv and playing games and all of that is stuff that you can practice and get really good at. These are people who already are. So from the perspective of doing it in audio, I don't have to worry about lining up video frames or anything, right? For one thing. For another thing, I don't like having to worry about, or I didn't like for that particular show, having to worry about how perfectly someone could do something to have them on my show. Mm -hmm. My goal was very much to create a spotlight for people who were generating cool games or for cool games that I liked um, and, you know, women in leadership roles in the RPG industry. To do that meant that I wasn't chasing down people who were all actors professionally, right? And then I was chasing down people who wrote games. And the end result of that is I wanted them to sound as good as they possibly could, which meant that 
we just cleaned all of that up so that you didn't have to worry about it. We just cleaned it up in, in post, right? And there are some SAS Geek episodes where someone was running their very own game and, you know, we got five minutes down a sidetrack and they went, I am so sorry. I know that we're recording. I just came up with a much better idea for what happened at that junction five minutes ago. Do you mind if we rewound? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, better podcast, better story. They get what they want on the air. And we got like that good, good, juicy, delicious content. Mm -hmm. The other part, and this definitely drove it to begin with, is I have listened to a lot of actual plays in my life. And I am not a fan. I, it's fine to have mechanics and stuff. But I am not a fan of we left the mics on while we all left to go get the pizza from the front door. And then we all came back <laughs> and we like opened up the pizza and we're all eating and just chatting and we're not actually playing the game. And I'm sitting there as the audience like, am I how much of this is there? You couldn't have cut this out, right? Just right. So one of the things for Sasuke was a goal of having really clean audio as much as we could. Mm -hmm. It's a ton of work. Right. Like I don't edit pandas anymore. I actually I didn't edit at all. And now pandas is edited again. But like I pay someone to edit pandas because I don't want to. Audio editing is a ton of work. Video editing is even more work, just to be clear. So when you're in a situation where you feel really comfortable that the people that you're playing with are just going to create good content and you're doing a very like friendly, informal sit down at the table kind of feel like great just go. But also be aware of things like don't leave the mic on while you all go get the pizza or whatever. Like don't take a five minute break. Say you're taking a five minute break and then literally leave the mic going. And I'm sitting there driving like I was driving to work in my car listening like you left in the five minute break while everyone ran to the bathroom. Like what? <laughs> Anyway, so that's my opinion. I think there's a lot of thoughts about it. For me, the main purpose was definitely I wanted everybody to sound good. I didn't want you to only sound good if you had trained for it. And I didn't want anyone to be more nervous than they had to be, myself included. It was worth editing just to make that sound the way that we wanted it to sound. What about for MM Plays, Phil? I'd like to land right in the middle of this because for sure, Scent is right. Nobody needs to hear anyone getting the pizza and, and, and <laughs> handing it out. Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> so this is now this is me personally. Like when I listen to a... a AP podcast, like I'm interested in the game. Like if I wanted to go listen to just a drama, I'll go. I mean, there are many, many online dramas I could go listen to, but I'm here. I, I'm a huge fan of role playing, right? So when I listen to an AP, I want to hear mechanics. I want to hear how like a dice pool gets built up. I want to hear how it resolves and things like that. I don't necessarily need to hear everyone flipping through the rule book looking for a rule, but I want to hear some mechanics to it in addition to the actual story that's being told. I just want to make it clear as a general rule in Saskik, we did not edit out all of the mechanics. I feel <laughs> like that's a thing that keeps coming up. Cause like Senda doesn't like mechanics or something, but like, I do actually like, like rules. I just tend to play really rules like games. There's definitely some mechanics in Saskik, but not more than you need to understand what's going on. Like, I don't think we ever cut out a role that we rolled. If we rolled it, it's there sure. and we talked about it, right? But we didn't keep the like, okay, how does this rule work again? Right? Like <laughs> you didn't keep that stuff. I actually listened to Saski. I think before I really got to know you, Senda, mm -hmm. I listened to Saski for your Headspace episode. Oh, yeah. Because I signed up to run it at a con 
like a month after you drop that episode and I'm like, oh, I can find out how this is actually supposed to work now. I don't know if I did it right, but <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying you didn't run it right, but I'm like, I got the feel. Yeah, you I got, got the, the feel idea. And that's what I needed. So do you find that having done actual play where you have to consciously think about all these things about it being for somebody that other than the people at the table has affected you playing privately? I mean, you kind of mentioned this earlier, Senda, but like, has it changed the way you, you approach just hanging out at a table, eating pizza and playing games? I lead in so much harder because like this is my opportunity to not have that extra person at the table. I mean, it depends on the table, of course. If I'm at a convention and I don't know all the people and I'm like, then I may make similar decisions because I don't want to just dive in on something. But if I'm playing with the crew that I have been playing with in person, most pretty much exclusively for like the last five years, we have a pretty good idea of how we all work. And I, I have a pretty good understanding of where the lines are. We can all make very interesting and intense decisions. And what's cool about it is like, because there's no audience there, I more like, I just, I revel in that, in those <laughs> making those decisions. I'm like, I don't have to think about that. I don't have to deal with any of that. It's great. Like, just go for it. So there's that. But then secondarily, like I have found myself, as I said before, I think really I love playing my characters, but I play RPGs for the story mm -hmm. um, as I think kind of what I've learned about myself. And, and that's whether I'm playing or GMing or whatever it is. I really just love digging my teeth into that story and watching that stuff unfold. And that means that I'm very comfortable with things like not having a positive outcome for my character, all of that kind of stuff, because I'm really there for that story. And I think playing so many games, knowing that we were recording for an audience and kind of crafting towards that, um, I don't know if it just made me realize that's what I'm there for or if it helped pinpoint that that was something that I was really into. Like, you know, if you think on TikTok and like new kink unlocked, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which way it happened, but uh, but whatever it is, um, that is the same energy that I take to my home tables. I'm really there. I'm really into that story. I'm really there for it. And that's what I like to play for. So, yeah, I think it does. It's affected it in that I both go harder when I feel like the 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 safety restraints, I can take them off. Right. Like, boom. But also like the things that I take joy in are in many cases the same whether there's an audience or not. And I've just like perfected how to eke that drama out of the system by playing it for people for five years. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another question. Have you found, especially with like, Phil, I know you've played a few different games in the previous run and you've got other games lined up that you're going to hit with MM plays and send it. You have played probably well over a hundred different games. There was a lot. I don't know. There was a lot. Yeah. It probably wasn't that many, but it was a lot. Did you find that there were some games that were better suited to actual play than others? Bill, what are you what are you what are your what are your your findings on this? For me on an actual play, I think there are certain games that suit me better than others. Just for the nature of the game. I think I, I mean for me personally, powered by the apocalypse games are always really good because it's so much about emergent play. Mm -hmm. Um and the rules are really streamlined. Like Rules for the game are not difficult, right? It's a conversation that occasionally, when appropriate, engages certain moves. And I think that works really well in that AP format because 
having a conversation is exactly what you want to have uh, happen on the mics. And then the moves, you know, they're going to break that flow of narrative, but I think it's kind of interesting. And I think the experience it creates, like, you know, and because we've all played them, you, you know, you have this dialogue, the move kicks in, you kind of get to this meta level conversation about going through your choices for, you know, your moves and then, you know, having a little discussion, then resuming play. And I like that pace in a game. Mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoy I really enjoy that. So for me, it is I think there are better games for me to both play and run. We're doing Cortex right now on on, on Emma Plays and it's, you know, it's no PBTA, but it's fate like. And I think it's fun in that there is this kind of when the mecha- when the mechanics kick in, you got to stop and build a pool and kind of discuss how you're building your pool. And then you roll it and make some decisions about your dice choices, you know, and then resume play. And I think I think that will come out uh, when we hear it in play. So it's interesting because I completely agree with you on the conversational part. And I think we recorded a lot of really fantastic Powered by the Apocalypse episodes because of that specific functionality of that game. And I think any other game where we could do it very conversationally was very successful. And I think the ones where it was harder to create something that I felt like was super entertaining to listen to were the ones that got a bit crunchier. And it's probably partially personal in that I I personally just don't tend to go for really crunchy games. So it's hard enough to kind of get me into it, even when I'm sitting at the table, if it's crunchy, like I'm not really into listening to a bunch of crunch when someone else is doing it. Probably ADHD. <laughs> Could be that. So my personal opinion and the stuff that I like to listen to better is stuff that allows for the conversation and that lets you stay in character as much as you can mm-hmm. or just be really descriptive about the times when you aren't in character and you're taking actions and that's that's kind of my favorite stuff um my favorite actual play podcast to listen to right now is campaign and they are playing genesis um which in some ways has some similarities dice pool wise to how cortex works um just in terms of like gathering a pool of dice with things that represent stuff and you know then reading the results and kind of taking in what those roles mean and then putting that back into the narrative so the way that cortex you 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 roll some dice you get a number and then you may have an effect die that um the size of the effect die may you know control the size of that impact right and genesis you know, you're rolling some tea leaves and, you know, you might have a, you might have a, like a triumph, but also a failure, right? Like on the table and then reinterpreting that into what that means for the story, right? What do I do with four advantages and a failure? Right. You got four advantages, a failure and a triumph, right? Like four advantages, three failures and a triumph. Like, what is that? (laughs) Figure it out. That would be a very wild dice pool. But anyway, So also games where even when you break for the mechanic, when you then take it and weave that back in because it continues the conversation, I think are generally the most successful. That would be my opinion. Any final words you want to share on actual play? Maybe advice for people wanting to get into it? It takes a really long time to edit. (laughs) It is significantly more intensive to edit an actual play cleanly than it is to edit a conversation cleanly. Just know that going in. It's just a thing. Also, editing character creation is the worst. The absolute worst. You know, I'll say, um, boy, and boy, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but don't let 
APs psych you out as a GM. Yes. The people who make APs are making them for the large part because they are, like Senta said, some of them are trained actors. Some of them are like trained improv people. Don't let that play psych your psych your own game out because this hobby was always made to be a group of friends at a table playing a game, eating chips, telling jokes and stuff like that. And it is perfectly fine if your game has wonky moments, doesn't roll as smooth as something like Critical Role, all of those things. It is still my favorite form of the hobby. I like actual plays. I like listening to them. I think that, you know, people like Brendan Lee Mulligan, fantastic game masters. But given push comes to shove, I will always take being at my table and and playing games with, you know, the people that I care about. And I think I think even those GMs like Matt Mercer and Brendan Lee Mulligan would basically be like, no, 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 do your game, play your game. They're not they're not there telling you to do it just like that. Hundred percent. There are people out there telling you that you have to do it just like them, but those people are wrong. Don't believe them. They're wrong. It is a double edged sword. One of the great advantages and disadvantages of having come up in the hobby in the eighties is that we were so isolated in playing that like you didn't actually know too many other people who ran games. To psych yourself out. Mm-hmm. I know when I was a kid, and Angie, maybe this is the same for you. There was like me and there were maybe like two other groups I was aware of in high Like by the time I got to high school, there were like two other groups I was aware of. Sometimes a person or two would filter in from those groups, but mostly our groups would play. And then like there was only advice in Dragon Magazine and the rest of it. You were just like, I'm just going to run this game and see what happens. My similar experience was probably... Going to a convention and gaming with somebody whose style was completely different than the table I was used to playing at. Like, I remember showing up for, I think it was an Amber Diceless game, which I'm like, I'd never heard. I, let's try this. And like, we got a couple of folks in there that were fully into the improv acting level of play. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm, am I in the right place? Am I, I like it was like almost <laughs> meeting an alien yeah. from another planet because their style was so different, you know. So I think having the actual plays now shows you different styles. You just have to remember your style is your style. You don't need to emulate anybody else. Be inspired. Don't be intimidated. Yes. And also remember that a lot of times, especially if you're just listening to audio, they edited that. Yes. <laughs> This show has been funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the Actual Play Actors Fund, which doesn't actually exist, but it would be nice if it did. Boy, would it. (laughs) (laughs) If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Sure, this is bespoke uh, because they haven't updated because MM Plays is still new enough. So you could be listening to um, Misdirected Mark Plays, uh, which is the new iteration of the Misdirected Mark podcast on which Phil, hey, I know that guy, Chris, Bob, and Jerry break down and play games to get inside games so that they can talk about game mastering the games that you heard them play on the show and then about the design and the mechanics, and how to run that game in an effort to entertain and inform you. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Phil, Senders, anything else you want to give a shout out to today? Besides Pandas Talking Games and Misdirected Mark Plays. Yeah, I was going to say you should listen to Pandas Talking Games, but, you know, you covered it. But yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you can, you can find us on the Mastodon at... Dice.camp. Yeah, Dice.camp. Uh, and you can still find us on Twitter. I'm, I'm watching... 
carefully on Twitter until the day it comes to pull the plug. So I'm not on Twitter anymore. I'm not even going to say it. I'm just on Mastodon. (laughs) TikTok, though. Anyway, if you have things you want us to talk about on pandas instead of the Gnomecast, you can also send us, you know, topics. I'll just shout that out. Always send them topics. Always send us topics. That's where they get their topics from. Yeah, it's true. So, do you think you performed well enough to stay out of the stew? I'm going to crawl over Phil to get out over the lip here. We're just going to... And then I'll reach back down in and try to pull him out after me. I'm taking one for the team. I'll take. I'll, I I will. I will go into the stew for the two of you to be spared. I heard there was a secret door in the bottom, though. 